I've been extremely lucky because since I started working when I was about 13 or 14 years old, I've only had three jobs outside of being in the media. Now, when I first started working, I used to file cases in the welfare office where my grandmother worked. Now, my grandmother was a social worker for well over 30 years. And even though I wasn't legally working age, my grandmother was able to pull some strings, get me up in there so that a couple times a week, I would spend four or five hours at her social services office filing a mountain of welfare cases. And let me tell you, paper cuts are the mark of the beast. My thumbs and index fingers, all my shit was torn up. Another job I had was working as a cashier at a YMCA. And of any of the non-media jobs I've had, I was by far the worst at this one. All I did was give away free shit. I honestly don't know how I wasn't fired because if the owner ever did inventory, they would probably find one package of Twinkies left and only $2 in the cash register. Like 50 something packages of Twinkies would be missing with no explanation of where they've gone. Or excuse me, I have the explanation. It went to my friends. And finally, the third non-media job that I had, and this one was memorable. I delivered phone books when I was in college. Now I realize some of y'all who are listening don't know what a phone book is, but believe it or not, there was a time where all of our telephone numbers were listed in this big ass book. This book, you got it once a year and it probably weighed 562 pounds. And at the time I was driving a 95 Ford Probe, the two door. So there was only so many of these books I could actually fit into my car. And I delivered them shits in snow because I did this job during winter break and it was cold, it was snowy, it was icy. But there I was getting paid 70 cents for every phone book delivered. And I can tell you that was nowhere close to minimum wage, which leads me to our word of the week, which is ironically weak, as in W E A K. Now, the reason I brought up my few but entertaining non media jobs is because I've been thinking a lot lately about minimum wage. Last week, Senate Democratic leaders and President Biden came to an agreement over the latest COVID-19 relief bill, which would include $1,400 in stimulus checks for some people, not all, some, and I'll explain that in a moment. But the headline of all of this is that what won't be included in this bill is language that would have lifted the federal minimum wage to $15 by 2025. Now, let me break this all down for you about how we got to this place where the minimum wage increase wasn't included in COVID relief. Remember this name, Senate parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough. She told the Democrats that the minimum wage provision as written violated strict budgetary rules that limit what can be included in a reconciliation package. Hmm. Now you might be wondering, What's a reconciliation package? Now, instead of needing 60 votes to pass any legislation, the Senate only needs a majority, which the Democrats have. That's why this is filed under a reconciliation package and not a normal bill. And because it's not a normal bill, it means it's also not subject to a filibuster. Hmm, you might be thinking, and what's a filibuster? Short story, some antiquated shit that shouldn't be part of our government. Longer story, it's a tactic lawmakers use to delay action on a bill or some other measure. So basically, a senator can take the mic during a session, endlessly debate an issue by introducing pointless procedural motions. Being, For example, Strom Thurmond, one of the most notorious racists ever to be elected to office, he spent 24 hours and 18 minutes filibustering against the Civil Rights Act. You got to be a petty motherfucker to do some shit like that. But this is what happens. People just get up there and endlessly talk just to delay action. So let's say the Senate introduced this COVID-19 bill as a bill would normally be introduced with the federal minimum wage hike. Motherfuckers would have just filibustered that shit while the people that elected them struggle to survive. So that is why the Democrats tried to backdoor the shit and it didn't work. And that was under the assumption, of course, that every Democrat would have voted for it anyway. And that assumption may have been naive because West Virginia Democrat Joe Manchin and Arizona Democrat 
Kirsten Cinema said they oppose minimum wage. Now, in fairness, Cinema's beef appears to be that the minimum wage doesn't belong in this bill. She's not saying she's against it. It's more of a procedural thing. Okay, whatever. Manchin, on the other hand, just doesn't think people deserve it. He said it would kill a lot of businesses if they had to pay people $15 an hour as minimum wage. Let me hip y'all to something. A person working full time and earning the federal minimum wage, which right now is $7.25 an hour, makes about $15,000 a year. Assuming they don't have any additional income, that's below the federal poverty line of $16,910. Not only has the federal minimum wage not risen since 2009, we're paying people just enough to be in poverty. If we paid the $15 an hour, a million people would automatically no longer be classified as impoverished. Also, and I'm going to whisper this to you because I'm sensitive like that. If you're a business owner and you can't pay your employees a living wage, then you don't need to be in business. If your business depends on you exploiting your workers, you're a shitty business owner. Now, I'm old enough to remember when big business needed a bailout during the pandemic. That shit passed with the quickness. Wasn't no arguing, but none of that. They rubber stamped that shit and didn't think twice. But suddenly, when it comes to helping actual working people, folks are hemming and hawing like a motherfucker. Ain't that some shit? Also, one more important thing to note about this COVID-19 bill. Fewer people will get stimulus checks, or stimmies as the young people call them, this time around. Now, how did that happen? Well, the Democrats blew a 28-3 lead. Sorry for the reference, Atlanta Falcons fans. In order to get the bill through the Senate and gain the approval of centrist and moderate Democrats, the bill was revised so that all those single filers under 75 grand will get a $1,400 STEMI and joint filers under 150 grand will receive one as well. And that means 12 million fewer adults and 5 million fewer children will receive STEMIs under Biden than they did under Donald Trump. Which means Trump and the Republicans can now say they gave more people more STEMI money than the new dude. Which means Democrats handed the Republicans a draw for and a big joker. Because when the midterms hit, you best believe they're going to point this fact out in political ads. That's why politically all of this was just stupid and terrible strategy. When Democratic voters ask what happened to student loan relief, a minimum wage increase. The stimulus package, the only thing the Democrats can say is, well, what had happened was Elizabeth McDonough, Joe Manchin and them, that's all they can say. I don't really fuck with Republicans, but I have to give them credit. They ride for their people till the wheels fall off through thick, thin, ignorance, everything else. Democrats, as someone described them perfectly on Twitter, they never miss an opportunity to miss an opportunity. I don't think Democrats understand this soft shit, this centrist shit, this moderate shit. It ain't going to work. It took a record determined turnout in many cities, especially black cities, to get Joe Biden into office. You old man. And now you have to tell voters, people who really looked at you as more of a necessary evil and not an inspiration, that not only have you failed to deliver, you're getting fewer people stimulus money and no minimum wage hike. Either Democrats haven't been paying attention or they're just being willfully stupid But I don't understand why they're still trying to be reasonable with people who don't give a fuck. People who just want to see everything burn to the ground before they give an inch. It's fucked up, but I respect it. So let me go ahead and just make this prediction. Despite having control of the House, the Senate, and the White House, Democrats going to blow this shit because they're already on some weak shit. Weak shit doesn't energize your voters. Everybody who voted, especially black voters, came out in these historic numbers because it was based on the promise of something better and more progressive. Those voters are going to lose interest because Democrats too busy being spineless to get shit done. For four years, the Republicans showed no interest in compromising, finding common ground or pushing for meaningful legislation. And they got everything they wanted. Democrats lack conviction. And I say that because if they had conviction, they wouldn't be so gutless all the time, which is why they're weak. Our word of the week. Now on to today's show. I have something truly special planned for today's podcast. For one, I'm interviewing two people at the same time, which I don't usually do. 
But as they say, exceptional rules for exceptional people. And my guests today are exceptional. I am pleased to welcome Ryan Coogler, director of Fruitvale Station, Black Panther Creed, and a producer on the critically acclaimed film Judas and the Black Messiah, which is now streaming on HBO Max. Joining Coogler is Chairman Fred Hampton Jr., who is the son of the esteemed Chairman Fred Hampton, the revolutionary for the Black Panther Party who was murdered by Chicago police at 21 years old. Judas and the Black Messiah is about his father, but told in part from the perspective of Bill O'Neill, the FBI informant who infiltrated Hampton's Panthers in Chicago and was instrumental in hand delivering Hampton to the police. I know it's early in the year, but I'm confident that by year's end, Judas and the Black Messiah will still be one of the year's best films. It's so powerful. And most importantly, it's a story that needed to be told because the narrative that has existed around the Black Panther Party has just been wrong. So Ryan and Chairman Jr. are going to talk about the film, why it resonates and connects to what we see so strongly in present day and what went into making this movie, because it's such a fascinating story. Even though Chairman Jr. was in his mother's belly when his father was murdered, when you listen to him, you swear you're listening to his father. Anyway, prepare to have your conscience stirred. Coming up next on Jamel Hill is Unbothered, Ryan Coogler and Chairman Fred Hampton Jr. Well, uh, Ryan and Chairman Fred, it's just a pleasure to have you here on this podcast. We have so much to talk about. I, of course, could do an entire podcast asking Ryan nerdy Black Panther questions. So at some point, Chairman Fred, if you don't mind, you're going to have to let me get at least a few of them off my chest later on in this podcast. But this movie, Judas and the Black Messiah, I could talk about this movie the entire time, probably longer than that because I saw it recently and it's just spectacular. Of course, before I said that, Chairman Fred, I probably should have asked you how you felt about it. So this is perhaps a good place to start. Uh, How did you feel about it? Like what are some of your impressions of this movie now that you've seen the completed project? I don't want to throw a lid on the emotions. um, Again, this is the type of conversations, type of dialogue, um, it's 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 uh it's intensifying I mean, on uh, on a day-to-day basis, you know. And um there are conversations that are happening now that uh, many people have been subjected to have them in quote unquote in a coded type of way, you know, the whisper, you know, you don't you don't you don't even acknowledge terms such as Quintel Pro, assassinations, chairman Fred, the Black Panther Party, you know. And of course, we don't, you know, we don't, you know, people say, well, is this, is this movie going to tell us everything about the Black Panther Party, Chairman Fred? And, and, and the reality is Chairman Fred was a revolutionary. The Black Panther Party was a revolutionary organization. And, you know, so, so we, you know, we, 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 um, we said, you can't put, you know, you can't put a shark in a fish tank. But however, this is aiding uh, in so many ways. In fact, uh, we relate to uh, one of the quotes from uh, Commandante Ernesto Che Guevara, which says, you know, that the role of the propagandist can be as important as that of the guerrilla. So this is a, a, a this is a powerful piece. So I'm on I'm on cloud thousand. Or better yet, as Chairman Fred would say, I'm too proletariat, revolutionary, intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. In other words, you just have the people. Yes, indeed. So Ryan, I know this is going to be a bizarre question because you know you're a very established filmmaker, but I would imagine that there was a different kind of pressure with this movie. Um, Talk about that a little bit. I mean, here you have uh, Chairman Fred is virtually we're right next to each other. Um, I know that some of your actors, particularly Daniel uh, Kaluuya, you know, met with him and the family and, um, you know, they were around during this process. So um, as a producer, what kind of pressure did that put on you to make sure um, that this turned out the way that history would want it to? It was a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, and, and more than anything, it was because this was a relationship movie, you know, um, Shaka King films, co-writer and director, um, is, is a friend of, of, of my wife and I, uh, he told us about his idea to make this, you know, when we were, when we were just visiting with him at his parents' house in Brooklyn, you know, um, socially. And, um, so, so he, he's somebody who, who means a lot to us and the road to getting, that this film made and, and made how it got made 
was a long one. But the truth is, you wouldn't believe it at all if I taught it to you. <laughs> That's another movie in this cell. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's some it's, it's 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 some stuff that was just so 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 unbelievable. But I'll, I'll share a few things. Like um, one of the first things that Shaka said once we got rolling down the, down the road, and he, you know he had decided he wanted to you know have our company proximity, my wife and I's company that we run with another guy named Steve Honey to to be producers on the film. We took the screenplay to, to Charles King um, and, and Macro, his company. And and as as we got going, Shaka said, "Hey man, it's time for us to go see the family. You know, we gotta go see Chairman Fred Jr. and Mama Cora and Jerry." And um, obviously, I was I was familiar with who they were, but it was it was a a casual knowledge. You know what I mean? Like like um, you know, we went to go see them in Maywood, you know, at the Hampton House. Um, and, and first, actually, we saw Chairman. So it was Chairman. It was it was you. I think it was Che. I think it was Stan. First, is that correct? Yeah, but I, I thought, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's that when we, when we when we caught that glimpse of each other and said, "Whoa, wait a minute." Yeah, yeah. So that, that was what was that was what was crazy about this meeting was. So we sat down, you know, and it's it's a it was it was a a really intense meeting because because it's it's you know the, the house is is you know um it's a it's a house of work, but it's also it also has you know things from from Chairman Fred Hampton Senior's childhood. You know, it's, it's like paintings of of, of him. And, and you know, Chairman Fred Jr. is there, and you see how much they look alike. You know what I mean? And, 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 and it's 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 an intense experience to go to the house. I recommend for anybody who gets the chance to to to, to go to, to to do it. But but you know, we talking, and um, you know, Chairman Fred Jr. is passionate talker. You know what I'm saying? I, I, as am I. You know, we were there for hours. You know, yeah. um, but at one point, like maybe a couple hours in, like we we were looking at each other, and we caught each other in the light. And we realized we had met before, you know, yeah. back, back in back in the Bay Area. You know, we met at the Berkeley Flea Market some years back. Um, and, it, and it was a really it was a really chance encounter. You know, he was dressed like he's normally dressed, like in his dress call for the Panther Cubs yes. and, and gave me a flyer about the Cubs. You know what I'm saying? And like it was a cool interaction. Like he gave me he gave me a flyer. He, I don't think he said anything to me. He, like, he came up to me, gave me the flyer, gave me a fish. And then went and then went back about back, back on about his way, you know. So I was with my I was with my family, you know. I went my way, but I remembered it, you know. What I'm, you know what I'm saying? And then I realized I was like, oh, that was you, you yeah. know. Like at this at this, and then he remembered that day. So then for, for me, I was like, it was like an extra uh, level of pressure because I felt like like something more was at work, you know what I mean? In terms of our relationship, you know, like film aside, and I said that to him, you know, film film aside, because you know, you know, we filmmakers. We don't. We not the same as where he is, and what his father is, as what his mother is. You know what I'm saying? And 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 for, for me, in getting in the work of people who 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 revolutionary work as their life's work, you gotta be clear about that. You know what I'm. You know what I'm saying? I gotta, I gotta be clear that like, look, we, we finna make a movie. It's gonna run about two hours. You know what I'm saying? Like, and 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 that's gonna be what it is. You know, like like we not trying to step into your shoes, not trying to pretend to be something that we not. But I think there's a way that there's a way that 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 you know. You can help us make a better movie and we can make something that 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 you guys are comfortable with being out in the world. You know what I'm saying? And, and I think that was that was the, the, the needle we were trying to thread. And it was hard work. You know, um, it was unconventional. I came out of the process with a new angle on everything. Things that you hear about in film school, like public domain. Like sometimes, you know, they'll tell you, yeah, if something's in public domain, you can, you know, you can make a movie about it. You can write about it, whatever. You don't got to check in with nobody, check in with anybody's family. You know, and, and just that whole concept. You know, and, and having this experience of talking with Chairman Fred Jr. and, and, and talking with, with children of party members who were assassinated, going into, the, into, into prison on trumped up charges, political prisoners, you know what I mean? And then and they have to and they have to see works of fiction that further decimate who, the character of those people, you know, um, and the effects that that can have. You know, um, it gave me it gave me a newfound um, point of view on, on, on everything that I always, I always carry that with me going forward. That, that, that gives you a little bit, a little hint of the pressure there. You know? yeah. <laughs> so was the was the plan always to make this movie in conjunction with the approval of of Chairman Fred and of course Chairman your your mom as well? Was that always the plan? On the surface, I would say initially we, were, we weren't thinking that far ahead. You know, um, we were thinking about it more from a traditional filmmaking perspective, is, all, is what I would say. You know, and and, mm -hmm. and Shaka who. You know, to his credit, raised this early. He was like, "Yo, we need to go. We need to go sit with this man." You know what I'm saying? 
And and and, and it's one of the first things he said to me, yo, was why didn't you come to me earlier? You know, you know what I mean? And I was like, sure, I'm glad we're here today. You know, you know, that, that kind of thing. You know, the way we approached this film was was deeply unconventional. So so to say that we that we that we planned it this way would be a lot. You know, it was something that evolved. It was something that evolved over over time. So, Chairman, um, once they come to see you, um, what was it about them that made you confident that this film was in the right hands? Similar to what I said earlier about, I don't want to throw a lid on it because it's, it's the relationship is ongoing. You know, it, um, like even you know, even as we speak, um, two major dates with our organization, Black Panther Party Cubs, is our, um, August thirtieth and December fourth. August thirtieth being the Chairman Fred Street's party, the birthday of Chairman Fred Hampton. December 4th is International Revolutionary Day, a day in which we say two days, that's when two of our twin towers, quote unquote, failed to my 21-year-old Chairman Fred, 22-year-old defense captain Mark Clark. Just, I mean, the call, the, I mean, me and Ryan talking that day, that day and, that, and so many other days, uh, Daniel, Dominique calling, you know, and other cast members, you know what I'm saying, their involvement, off the grid, up the, not, just not confined to the nine to five, you know, discussions and uh, just get a little background. Um, some, some uh, we tap we hit on some you know some uh, the, uh, the political significance of some, some things that Ryan pointed out. You know, it, um, the the Berkeley flea market. That's you know that's that's right. I mean, it's technically it's in Berkeley, but it's like it's like part of Oakland. You know, it's, it's like you, you know, you're talking about um, L.A. the swap meet. You know, saying so that certain things. So, okay, you did this, that sticks in your mind, the heart. And we say, you know, when I organize the streets of our office, I work constantly twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. And when we, we caught that glimpse with it, you know what I'm saying, the time we, you know, we, at, the, we uh, at the Hampton House, where I'm at now, our dialogue, and the tug and pull, the struggles, and you know what I'm saying, I mean, there was some, there was some heated struggles, and you know, and to, uh, and also we got war wounds. So say we talk about myself, uh, the comrades that uh, Ryan had mentioned, members of the Black Panther Party, you know, so we, because this, I'm talking about this, not just is what they say in the, in the industry, movie industry, is a period piece, but in addition, this is also a relevant piece. We still have, Cases, you know, so I mean, in particular, I mean, Jerry Odinger Dunnigan, uh, uh, prison number C 018559, who's still locked up, direct, who directly in regards to William O'Neill's role. You know, what I'm saying, uh, um, we got people who were actually tortured, you know, what I'm saying, by William O'Neill, you know, uh, so there's certain, there's, these are these are these are sensitive subjects to talk about, and, and we say, handle with care. There have been a number of attempts brought to us before, you know, um, and, and a lot of people say, man, it's principle how y'all turn stuff down See, under contested conditions. I mean, we, we, I mean, overtures have been brought to us when we ain't had no, you know, no resources. I'm talking, I don't want to go into the long stories, but the battles and the hold on to it, even other, you know, even when people who were in the Panther Party, and I distinguish those that are Black Panthers and those that were in the Panther Party, even when family members would say, just, you know, just go for the easy out, let this go, don't make a big deal about this. But, you know, so, the on that again in the ongoing uh, relationship that we have now, regardless of whatever times. Well, wait a minute, that poster came out. I, you know that, that that you can't have that with this. That's the, that's a contradiction. In recognizing that there are cases where our political position may clash or contend with something that may be creatively speaking advantageous. You know, so this, this is a great scene for a movie. But say, so wait a minute, this can, you know it clashes with our political position. You know how you know when who chairman speaks with you talking about a, a organizer that when he when he went to go meet with organizations who he took who he didn't take with him what they, you know you know he would do like role plays he would set the seats like chairs now that door open this door closed it may vary between who he dealing with so again ongoing the process is is, is ever developing yeah I mean this is such a different kind of film uh, of course we've seen you know uh, biopics before and. Those kinds of things. And this is not a strict biography necessarily, but it is nevertheless real uh, because some real things that are in this movie definitely happen to the real people who are involved. And I know for those who are not familiar with your personal story, Chairman Fred, that you went through a lot beyond just the assassination of your father and you and your mother both were targets of the U.S. government for a long time. So I hope that this movie opens the door so that people will not just take this as what happened to Fred Hampton, but to understand the government and political roles and uh, about what they did to oppress people and ultimately try to kill the liberation of a people. 
like that's a whole thing and a whole nother conversation that we can certainly have. Um, but, you know, uh, for now, I want to get into Daniel's performance. It was extraordinary. I mean, it was just special knowing that he had to get your father's voice down was one of the most impressive things that I've seen that blew me away because he literally sounds just like your dad, Ryan. I know you've worked with Daniel uh, on black Panther and you've seen how his career has developed. How would you characterize his performance in this movie? I mean, it's a, it's a phenomenal performance. He, he He's exceptional at what he does. Um, just as a craftsman, He's he's very experienced, um, very, very well trained. Those are like the tangible qualities of him as a as a as a guy, you know. Like I grew up playing football, you know what I'm saying? Like there's um there's certain things that you can teach somebody, you know, certain things you can't teach. You know what I mean? Like that, those are the intangibles, right? He's got all of the tangibles, like, you know, like like in terms of you know, putting his time in and learning the craft and that. But he also has like a very deep, deep well of, of intangibles as a human being you know um as, as, a, as a god and he's, he's bringing that to every to, to every role um and this role meant something to him you know like it, it meant something to him on a level that, that that he he often doesn't get into um in in uh interviews <laughs> you know, like 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 like, <laughs> like this you know um he, he's gone there with, with with chairman junior you know um I, I know he has, you know what I mean? I know Chairman saw, you know, saw in him quickly with, 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 with I, you know, what I saw him in, a, in him as a person years back when we first met. But just to give you a, a taste of like who he, who he is, um, you know, Shaka said that he wanted to work with Daniel for this, for this role. And, um, and I, I had, I was working with Daniel at the time. Like Black Panther wasn't out yet, you know, um, we, we were finishing it. And, um, <clears throat> so I entered, I made the introduction. Between between the between the, the two guys and and one of the first things Daniel did was he was like yo I, I can't play this role if I don't if I don't come to Oakland you know I gotta go to Oakland first and and oftentimes Chairman would would talk about Oakland being like like mecca for 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 a Black Panther you know um and, and for him to make that like he didn't say Chicago first because he knew he he knew he was gonna get there. But he was like, I got, I got to go there first, you know. And, and he came out and stayed with us. And he was still debating whether or not he was going to take this. You know what I mean? Like he was still going back, you know, going back and forth. And you know, he wanted to go to, the, he wanted to go to the locations. Man, where did they put the stop sign up at? And where did they, you know, you know, you know, he wanted, to, he went. And, and fortunately, my family knew these things. You know, they knew things that they had never shared with me. You know, um, and, and Chairman will get into this, but my aunts and my uncle, like. They, 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 it's some stuff with the party they don't like to talk about, you know, um, be, be, because there is trauma there. You know, my, my first dead body my mom ever saw was, was Bobby Hutton, you know, um, who was who was who was a child. You know, what I'm, you know what I mean? Like when you think about when you think about that, um, you know, I talk to my aunts about it, and it's like, what was that time like? You know, they get quiet. You know what I'm saying? Like it's not, it's no, it's no, you know, because um, it was because it was ground zero. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and it just so worked out that I could that I could show him these things, but I learned the stop sign went up a lot closer to my grandma's house than I thought. You know, you know what I mean? Like it's like, oh man, this corner is a corner. I used to I used to run across as a kid. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? And, and to think that the Panthers was like, yo, I'm gonna put a stop sign up that's still that's still there to this day. You know what I mean? Man, will save my life. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Um, it, it, it was it was heavy, and to be experiencing that with a guy who was born halfway across the world. You know what I'm saying? Like, but, but, but we're still tapped in and knowing that the Panther struggle was an international struggle. You know, it, it was heavy. And that's just like a, like a, you know, it's to scratch the surface on who he, on who, on who he is as a person. You know, you know what I'm saying? Um, to, to understand. Um, and then I'll let, I'll let Chairman talk to you about what happened the first day they met, you know? Um, but, but, but we got going down, a, down the road and, and, you know, Chairman and, and Mama Kua still hadn't signed on, still haven't given us the green light. And one day, Chairman was like, hey, check this out. I'm, I don't know how y'all do it with movies or whatever, but at what point are these actors who supposed to portray us, at what point are they going to come see us? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> you're like, yeah, you know, y'all been here, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, these people that are saying these lines in the script, I'm, I'm seeing, like, at what point are they going to come? And it was like, uh-oh, you know, so we had to, 
you know, we had to get the, get the, get the flights organized, you know what I'm saying? Like, get everything squared away, you know, um, and, they, and they had a chance to sit down and talk. Well, well, Chairman, I, you know, see, Ryan, part of what makes him a great director is he knows how to anticipate. You know, he played football. He just did a point guard type of move because my next question was literally going to be, uh, what were your first impressions of Daniel, uh, Chairman? Let me, let me preface with this. You know, uh, there's, there's character in character. And, you know, a lot of people to the position like this, we've been hearing about it. Just be happy that, you know, someone doing a movie, don't ask these questions. Um but we say, you know, a legacy is more important than our life. Again, legacy is more important than our life because we you know we, we have a certain amount of time to physically be here. But a legacy in our communities, the oppressed communities in general, but that of a revolutionary is important. We cross the T's and dot the I's. And, you know, I remember um, our dialogue, you know, uh, as, as Ryan pointed out, I said, oh, you know, like I said, I literally said, I don't know how the procedure goes. We, you know, we had to meet these people, you know. And, um, we, you know, we worked it out, you know, uh, come to the Hampton House. and um, Something, I just want to touch on something Ryan mentioned earlier because, you know, you told a brother, you know, from Uganda raised up in, in London. The party politics, the path of party, transcends geographical, generational, and gender lines. This is a, we have, a, we have, you know, we have chapters in uh, Brazil. And I remember going through Sao Paulo and other places. I, and, you know, in, in even language in France, um, we have chapters of Black Panther Party Cubs. And, and the, the language barrier, in fact, I said um, Black Conscious Day, November 18th in, in Brazil, Chains and shackles, water, land can't divide us. But and that, the, the Panther Party in particular, that you know, the people's love. I mean, if you cat on the street corner in Oakland, California, Ohio, whatever, you, the, the, the love that they still have, even though the Black Panther Party was suffered a military defeat, ideologically they won. Back to this brother here, you know. I, uh, again, I, 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 at the table, I sometimes look back. I say, I, I, you know, I don't want that we grilling them or nothing, but. We asked, you know, we asked some questions, some concerns, you know, what, you know, why, you know, what's your, you know, relationship? Why, you know, what do you see in this role? You know, uh, Daniel and Dominique um, were there in particular. And I recall we said, um, call, uh, you know, Chicago is infamously referred to as Chirac now. So I know it's a whole lot of you know, uh, um, propaganda put out about this, you know, about the city. I make a joke about something. I'll be out of town. I watch the news. So I come back. I'll be like, whoa, what's, like, this crazy place. But. So I'm, I'm knowing we're dealing with that type of dynamic, but you know we, uh, you know we had called. I said, "Let's Google, uh, uh, ask Siri. What, what, what's, what's the, you know, what's, the, what's, what's the worst neighborhood in Chicago at this time? Because it's, it, it's, uh, it's arbitrary." And at that, that, that particular day, um, area known as K Town, which is not, is, you know, really close with the West Side headquarters at for uh, for the Black Panther Party, Madison Aquila. And I think it was past midnight because, mind you, we had sat out about seven, eight hours. We had just been you know, sitting on myself, my mother, my mother comrade, and we had talked in dialogue. We asked some questions and said, let's go there, you know. And um, and, and we, we went, went to our office, you know what I'm saying, uh, again, Madison Keeler. And uh, uh, actually, hours prior, 11 people just got shot there. And I was talking to him, Daniel Dominique, you know, Charles King was out there with us, Macro, and I remember, you know, just even – not just not talking not not time we talk about the situation in our community in a reactionary sort of way. It turns like black on black crime, and we just killing each other. But the different dynamics, the particulars, the the, the intricacies, I, like even how the police had defaced the mural, you know, so knock the candles down. You know, saying and and I was seeing it. I, I like this term, comedic genius Richard Pryor, who also was impacted by the Black Panther Party. I like this term he uses, uh, a peopleologist. So I tried to be a peopleologist, study the people. And I, and I watched Daniel Dominique, I watched the response on certain things, you know, by even by pointing out about how we can't even grieve, how toxic it is, how we have to hold stuff in, you know, so we have issues in our community. We, you know, saying we can't, we just told to hold it inside. And I watched their responses. And um, I was, and I, you know, saying, and I remain to be impressed in the, the, uh, the respect for my various respective fields, you know, saying thespians, revolutionaries, and not just, they were not held captive by the confines. Okay, this is what I got to. I got to get this script read for the role. You know, as I said, even to this day, this continuous conversation. You know uh, about you know who Chairman Fred was. The Black Panther Party was about. I have a a, 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 um, a new a, a deeper respect. Like, I mean, like I look at just just with the trailer scene. You know how uh, when you walk to the building for the meetings, and now this is Deputy Chairman Fred Hampton. Just from the naked eye, you say, okay, shot the scene. You say, no, I tell a lot of people. I say, no, I mean. The amount of times he had to do that, how we the struggles we had, the emphasis on the walk, the sound of the walk, his body language, you know, and 
it's you know say as a, as a respect and this and this and this this visionary here, how can you know he, Ryan? It's like it's I mean, struggles from different different fields and how I mean I remember times I would say well this can't happen and, and, and you know all the parties were saying well this has to happen this has to be and that's no this this can't go and you know his ability to say okay well. At the last minute, you know, say I get a text, but what about this? How how can we merge this? How can we not only all leave hold, but also at another stage in the game, the, the ante was up and on everyone. I, I, I mean, from the people who, who, who cook the food, the transportation, to the producer, director, the actors, every the, the whole. And again, uh, we, we relate to the as minister UEP news. The revolutionary is never satisfied. So I'm 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 we saying the sky's the limit. You know, keep on with this conversation. Come on with it. Mm. You know, I just realized, um, you know, the the three of us were from cities that in many ways are linked. They're sister cities like I'm from Detroit, Chairman Freya. So Chicago is my sister city. Uh, Brian is from Oakland. And so the, the three of these cities have all seen some of the same dynamics. Like you were talking about how people it's amazing how what about Chicago became one of the phrases of 2020 and 2019 and unfortunately of the last administration trying to use uh chicago as some kind of political talking point where we know the people who often ask what about chicago don't give a fuck about chicago just like the people who ask what about oakland what about they don't give a fuck about any of these cities it's just a convenient you know i'm saying point for for them to try to um use as a a a tool and a weapon of white supremacy um but ryan i want to ask you you know that you this i had daniel um on the podcast uh a a week or so ago he was great and what i did not anticipate is you know i posted he had some very amazing words to say about um you know about this role how he prepared the voice training that he went through to try to really capture uh fred's oratory skills his cadence and we talking about a chicago accent which ain't the same thing and a a certain part in chicago that accent right (laughs) so the but one thing i didn't expect is that there was an element of i don't want to put too much sauce on it but backlash in the sense of with daniel being british born uh as black as everybody that's that's on this podcast right now. But yet there are some people in our community who feel like these roles should go to African-American actors who they feel like can better relate to the experience of what happened in this country. And as much as I'm like, y'all know racism don't just happen in America, right? Like, I'm pretty sure Daniel Kaluuya knows what the fuck racism is, right? But nevertheless, as somebody in your position who often has heard this, uh, what do you say to some of the folks in our community who seem to be reluctant when they see somebody like Daniel cast in these roles, in a role like this? What do I say? I think Sharon has like a, has like really, really interesting perspective on this. The, the truth is, um, whenever, whenever, I, whenever I, I hear criticism, right, as a person, but especially like as somebody, as somebody who makes things, somebody who's a part of a community, you know what I mean? Some, like I'm a part of, of, of the artistic community, entertainment community, and I'm and I'm and I'm a black man born where I was born. You know what I'm saying? Um, and, and that specific critique is one that that I'm a, I'm a member of all of those communities, right? You know what I'm saying? Like like and like I saw so I try, so I always try to hear critique and give it its just due. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Um, and there's a portion of that critique, you know that 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 does come from the place of Hey, what we what we what we've been through is specific, and, and and that specificity, you know, should be should be acknowledged, right? You know, um, and I think that 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 there is truth in that, absolutely. You know what I mean? And and however, what made me comfortable with this choice was a few things. Like for one, the Black Panthers wasn't an international organization. You know what I mean? Like it, like that, like that was that was what it that was what it was. I knew that when when Elders Cleaver defected, he went to Algeria. You know what I'm saying? Like like that was something that was that was known. I knew that that you know at that time people were finding solidarity with people who were fighting in Cuba, people who were fighting in Central and South America. You know what I mean? People that were fighting fascism all over the all over the place. You know, um, and, and, and so so from that perspective, that made that that made it bother me less. You know what I'm you know what I'm saying? Um. But from the other perspective, just knowing Daniel, like when when Shaka, when Shaka said, "Yo, this is who I want to cast," it was a guy who I knew. You know what I'm saying? Like, and and and, and he he as as a person is somebody who's who's very steeped in the understanding of, you know, what it means to be black 
on an international level and the specificity of those things. You know what I mean? Yeah, he has to be a black man in Uganda. He has to be a black man in the UK. He has to be a black man here. And, and like that concept of it and, and the struggles that he's had in his personal life was also a reason why, why you know, why, why, why I thought it made, it made sense. And the biggest thing was that that was that was you know that was our filmmaker's choice. You know what I'm saying? Like like that. And, and I'm I'm here as a producer to 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 service to service him. You know that that's my that's my number one that's my number one role, right? You know what I mean? So often, Shaka tell me, "Hey man, this is what I'm trying to do." You know what I'm saying? Even Chairman Chairman Fred Jr. say, "Hey, <laughs> this can't happen." You know what I mean? Like this should be that. And my and my job is to try to is to try to service those things uh, and be a voice of of, of uh, like I can bounce 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 ideas back off. And, and and the truth is that you know neither Shaka nor Daniel or myself or anybody involved went into that situation blind. You know what I mean? Like 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 we didn't go into that situation blind or or dismissive of of, of any of any criticisms that they that they have. But but I mean I think Chairman Fred Junior's point of point of view on it is is, is often when I was that was enlightening for me as well. Yeah, Chairman, uh, why don't you offer your thoughts on that? Because, you know, there will be some in the community who'll say like, um, you know, should Daniel have played this role because he's not specifically black American? Um, and, and, you know, how do you view that situation? That point, back, to that, back to that point, God analogy, can't he pass the ball? Passing the ball, we coming down court. We're told in our community, um, in the black community in particular, not to acknowledge contradictions. We're, we're, we're fed this... Um, this notion, you know, what I'm saying to believe that you know we all, you know, we all, that we can all be the same, you know, uh, 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 have the same experiences, and and the deal, and a setback with that is of not coming on head on, acknowledging contradictions, with that way uh, it sets the stage for the ruling class, the system, to exploit our contradictions, and make them antagonistic contradictions. Um, this, these are the dynamics that this the system was unable to pull when Chairman Fred. In a city that was and remains to be, for all practical purposes, top segregated city in the country, Chicago. He dealt with the race question. He acknowledged the class contradiction. They can afford the luxury to say, okay, we, we, we all have the, the same uh, aspirations. Who, again, the, uh, the, the, you're talking about the young patriots at the time, in one stage the game was so reactionary, they were wearing Confederate flags on their jackets. Chairman Fred was a realist. On what points of unity can we win forces on to come through the door? Even to, in our present day organizing, I take it's not. I tell, it's not, you know, uh, devaluing one, you know, one side from the other side. How we strategically those those events I mentioned to you earlier. If you look at all our flyers from our organ, our past events, a lot of people say, "Chairman, why are you gonna do? Why you do one on 45th and Michigan and one out west?" I, the contradiction between the South and the West side. It's a balancing act. I know that there are contradictions with the various street organizations. Again, so we got to come through acknowledging that. This 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 this, this project is movie. You know, it, it, there's certain um, panther we say panther cub political seeds that, that we can pivot up for further this, uh, this discussion. I, one one thing that I'm sticking for, I pick up on. You know, um, I, one we recognize that you know we recognize the race and class contradiction. Daniel, particularly, and some other, I'm real big about we, we we're real big about respect. In fact, when we do coalition work, we say no respect, no rap. You know what I'm saying? It can be adversarial situations. People come through and say, all oh, this. I mean, one time we organized, we call it tribe troops, not a peace treaty, a tribe troops. That's what we organized. And one of the guys from Wall Street organized, they say, this is great, Chairman. I finally get the hang out. I said, whoa, whoa, stop. I'm not going to tell you that, you know, that we all had the same interest. This revolution is Chairman Francis, is a scientific art that must be perfected. You see, when U.S. imperialism, when they make moves, you know, they may have alliances with Russia or Germany at certain times, but they don't devalue it to well, this person likes this person. So how you know, say how's U.S. and North Korea? How, they, they have a common interest. You see, even the colonization of our communities, different entities, the Portuguese, the Spaniards, they had a common interest in exploiting us. This, this brother, his, his relationship to the people is again in these conditions uh, that, that impact black people in particular. It transcends geographical, generational, and gender lines. And the deal is to acknowledge it. You know, no, I'm not, not going to say no. Okay, like I said, even in Chicago, the South and West Side, they're different dynamics. You can pick up on it. You come, you can say, okay, I'm on a different side of town. But acknowledge these contradictions. And again, to, to be dismissive to say, okay, no, or even to flatter ourselves to say it's something about me that's different than you or someone else is because something I did. You know what I'm saying? In Chicago, the organizational question is real big. Not because something that we did independently. We are impacted by the dailies, the Capone, so on and so forth. We are impacted by who we colonized by, but we find that common strain. 
you know, you know they, 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 they're common dynamic. And again, in our community, you, you give it a few minutes, you say, oh, I can relate to you. You know, so where you at? We going through the same thing in Atlanta. You know, so we going through the same thing over the Congo and Chicago. You know, they call it something different here. You know, some language that you find those, those points of unity. And that's what we have to do. We have to heighten the contradictions. You know, say, you know, we, you know, I know all of us, we had the whole propaganda, all people in Africa don't like us, so on and so forth. And I said, tell out the cats, a lot of people that you that you came into contact with, they don't relate to the masses in Africa. Let's not, they don't relate to the people, you know, they have a disdain for the people there. I don't care wherever they go, you know what I'm saying? So we have to not be held captive by this colonial uh, 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 confines. So this, 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 I'm, I encourage the discussion. I encourage it. You know what I'm saying? You know, come on with it. You know, um, but again, two things I look for in field, race or class arrogance. You know what I'm saying? And, we can, and, and, and Daniel does not have it. You know what I'm saying? Again, his appreciation, this his connection, you know what I'm saying, with us. And, uh, we was, again, we was on the west side of Chicago, three, four in the morning, and, 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 and we're going to do it again. Yeah, but it's it's a conversation that we must acknowledge, but don't, don't we shouldn't have this conversation in a reactionary way. We shouldn't come in, we shouldn't have this conversation with the, the dictates of the, um, uh, of the system. You know what I'm saying? We can come in. The Black Panther Party said differences amongst the people are rep- reconcilable. However, differences the people in the system, the state are irreconcilable. We got to come in, acknowledge that there are contradictions and they are not necessarily antagonistic contradictions. Mm, that's a word right there. Now, Chairman, indulge me for a few minutes because I have some Black Panther questions that I absolutely have to ask Ryan. Before this is all said and done. No, I go on mute. I I listen to Chairman all all day. Hey, look, if Brother Fred had a collection plate right now, I swear I would drop some dollars in it. I'm not even kidding. You got a word right there. But real quick on Black Panther, Ryan, I thought the letter that you penned about Chadwick's passing is one of the most beautiful things I've ever read. Beautiful tribute to an obviously incredible performer and person. And you are now in the throes of putting together Black Panther 2. What is the process like for you knowing that Chadwick will not be there? One thing that I've, that I've learned in my, in my short or a long time on this earth, however you want to look at it, you know, um, it, it, is that it's very difficult to have perspective on something while you're going through it, you know? Um, and, and, and this is, this is uh, one, of the, you know, one of the more profound things I've ever gone through in my life having to, to, to uh, you know, be a part of keeping this project going without, without this, without this particular person um, who was like the glue that, that held, that held it together. You know, that said, you know, you got, you got a, you got a professional life, you got a private life, uh, personal life. I mean to say, and, and when you work in something that you love, those things blend, they come together, right? Your life kind of becomes your work for the, for the better part of it. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'm, I'm trying to find work-life balance, so I'm working on like, <laughs> you know, building building two things that can kind of stand in the night, stand in the night on. Because some of the elders tell me sometimes that's a little healthier, um, but I'm not there yet. So this is this is without question the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my professional life, without question, you know. Um, and, and I'll include my life being as a, being an athlete. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I'm in situations where your your best player gets knocked out the game. You know what I mean? And, you know, but you know that that part is coming coming back eventually you know what i mean this one hurts but it's also incredibly motivating because when you look back on how this guy lived his life um and how he moved through the world um and and what he what he gave to us you know um i had a conversation with a guy who was his driver the teamster who drove him on the last film we worked on together it's a young black man in georgia and the only reason that he got that job was because Chad said for the first thing, he said, I want, I want a black person to drive me around when he showed up. He said, y'all want a black person driving me and my family around. And that was, that was the type of person that he was. You know what I'm saying? So, so I'm incredibly sad to lose him, but I'm also incredibly like motivated that I got to spend time with him. You know what I'm saying? Like he's one of those people who, you, you know, you spend your life hearing about people like this. I hear stories about Paul Robeson. You know what I'm saying? Like, the, or, 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 what it was like to be on the court when 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 Kobe went for eighty one or whatever, you know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? For this for this individual who's an ancestor now, I was there for it. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Like I was I was there. You know what I mean? And that's like it's such a, a an incredible privilege that fills you up as much as it knocks you down. You know what I'm saying? So 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 that that 
I'm trying to like move forward with that type of energy. You know what I mean? And I think the ancestors in the universe have blessed you with new relationships. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like in, in, in when it, when it, sometimes it takes, sometimes it gives, you know what I'm saying? I, you know, Chad was, was one of the few people who in the industry, you know, was older than me. I could, I could call him and ask him for advice. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I deeply miss that, you know, but, but through this process of making this company, making this film, I got, I got Chairman Jr. I can hear him up and bug him if I'm, if I'm, you know what I mean? If I'm, if I feel like I'm at a loss or what have you, you know what I'm saying? And, and so often as black people, we got to pick up the pieces after loss. You know what I'm saying? So like what makes me, what makes me different from any, from anybody else? Yeah, I, I hear you. And that was very well said, but quickly before I let you two go, is Killmonger coming back? Ryan, you can go ahead and tell me, break the news right now. You, you breaking up. <laughs> All right. But you know what? You know what? You, he didn't say he didn't say no. And we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me in discussing this movie, which is fantastic. And as I said at the top of this podcast, I just highly encourage the people who watch the film to do the extra digging, read more about the Black Panthers, read more about what Fred Hampton Jr.'s life has been like, because that in itself is a story. And I know I'll always be grateful to the party because the party used to free my mother. You know, she she her and my uncle, uh, they ate every day at the Panthers, at the Black Panthers free breakfast program in Detroit every day. Right. So, yeah. So it just all comes, you know, really full circle. And, you know, Ryan, you just keep on creating and just doing fantastic black, excellent things that, you know, um, just are so inspirational. I know in the moment it's kind of sometimes hard to reflect on what you're doing because you're just so busy in the thick of it. But man, you you out here doing generational transformative work. And so this is just another indication of how when your hands touch something, we know it's real. So thank you both uh, for spending this time with me. Can I say one? Yeah, you can, yeah, go ahead. I was just commenting some other day about you know, the impact that, you know, for generations to come, you know what I'm saying, that the party had. I remember I, had, um, I, couldn't, I couldn't get an attorney on when uh, I was uh, locked up and his brother. He worked on my case. And I asked him, I said, why, you know, why you come on the case? And he talked about how, you know, the Black Panther Party Free Breakfast Program, mm-hmm. how, you know, family. And so there's no surprise. I mean, respect to you. There's no surprise, you know, somebody, you know, your childhood. You know, me and Ryan was talking about, you know, the Black Panther Party. Now, what's the sister's name? Um, you played Bernie Mac's wife. And, uh, oh, uh, I know who she is, but I'm, I'm blanking. Lita, yeah. I was just commenting about her the other day. I, you know, uh, I don't know if you see. In the piece when she's she's at the Black Panther Party intercommunal school mm. as a child, she did an interview on Minister UEP Newton, and I said you can just the impact of it, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, so again, so we're fighting for the unborn and living in the dead, you know. What I'm so we 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 want to leave our not our footsteps, but our Panther Paul steps, you know. What I'm saying we want to impact the minds and hearts of the people for generations to come. It was one time I think in South Korea where they had a, a, a policy where they would lock people up for three generations to, to weed out anything that was in you know in them. We have to pass this down like second nature from generation to generation. We said the Cubs are coming, the Cubs are coming, the Black Panther Party Cubs are here. It's been an honor, you know, saying to be be on with you. And um, I mean, Ryan, so he can, he can listen to me for hours. I can. It, the seminar reciprocal. You know, we just were talking er, er, up early this morning, late last night. I, I, I feel so fortunate to be, you know, saying to be, uh, um, you know, saying to have dialogue and that relationship that we have. You know, man, I'm, I'm, I'm on. On cloud thousand, better yet, it's Chairman Fred was saying, too proletarian, revolutionary, intoxicated to be astronomically intimidated. And that's what we call a mic drop on the podcast. Thank you, gentlemen. I greatly appreciate it. All right, Ryan and Chairman Fred Jr. are getting up out of here. Y'all know what's next. Fuck it, I'm bothered. We aren't that far removed from the unfortunate and tragic passing of Kobe Bryant. And in addition to the tragedy itself, what's also been heartbreaking that since he died, his widow, Vanessa Bryant, has spent far too much time addressing stupid shit. So fuck it. I'm bothered on Vanessa Bryant's behalf. Recently, she posted an Instagram story addressing the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, which came under deserved fire because some of the officers allegedly shared some of the photos from the scene where Kobe Bryant's helicopter crashed. And by sharing the photos, I mean, in one instance, an officer is accused of sharing his photos at a bar. 
Now, the sheriff's department sought to redact the names of the deputies who shared the photos in order to protect them, which is mighty interesting because, and I'm sure you've seen this before, but whenever a citizen commits a crime, that shit is everywhere. Full government name, address, mugshot, it's all public record. The police hold whole ass press conferences telling you everything about a suspect from the sandwich they liked in third grade to who they took to prom. But suddenly they want protection. But the sheriff's department isn't the only battle that Vanessa Bryan has had to fight. A few weeks ago, Vanessa Bryan called out Meek Mill for an insensitive lyric in his song with Lil Baby called Don't Worry, in which Meek rapped this. This bitch I'm fucking always tell me that she loved me, but she ain't ever showed me. Yeah, and if I ever lack, I'm going out with my chopper. It'd be another Kobe. First of all, and listen, I've never rapped in my whole life. So you can take this for what it's worth. I got to be honest. That wasn't a bar. I mean, was that a bar? Am I tripping? Didn't seem like a bar. Meek Mill didn't say something that was so profound and so out cold that it was worth him hurting the widow of a very beloved figure. Vanessa addressed Meek Mill on Instagram. She wrote, Dear Meek Mill, I find this line to be extremely insensitive and disrespectful, period. I'm not familiar with any of your music, but I believe you can do better than this. Now, a lot of people on social media rushed to Meek's defense. They pointed out how rappers all the time, they reference deceased, slain, iconic black heroes in their music, and nobody gives a damn. Although I do distinctly remember Lil Wayne making an Emmett Till reference and he caught a lot of flack as he should have for that. Some shit is just off limits. Okay. Now what's interesting to me that I couldn't help but notice is when Gail King asked Lisa Leslie, when they sat down for an interview shortly after Kobe died and she asked Lisa Leslie how she reconciled his support for the WNBA and the person he's known to be with the fact that he was once accused of rape. People came for Gail's neck. I mean, we tried to run her up out the country, basically. But I noticed with Meek Mill, ain't that same energy. Your guess is as good as mine as to why. I have some theories. Maybe one day I'll share. But for now... I just noticed that one person was accused of disrespecting the legacy of Kobe Bryant. Another person is accused of kind of the same thing because this is a line that doesn't illuminate. It doesn't enlighten. It just seems to me almost like a throwaway line just to remind everybody, hey, Kobe Bryant's dead and no smoke. Just saying something I noticed. Now, these are just a couple of examples of what Vanessa Bryant has had to deal with. Now, there was a whole other situation with her mother that honestly is not even worth me getting into, but it was, again, something that she had to address over social media. Vanessa just gave her first interview to People.com as part of their Women Changing the World issue. She said this of what it's been like for her since her husband died 14 months ago, and it really stayed with me. She said, this pain is unimaginable, but you just have to get up and push forward. Lying in bed crying isn't going to change the fact that my family will never be the same. But getting out of bed and pushing forward is going to make the day better for my girls and for me. So that's what I do. I know when you're a public figure, people feel like every corner of your life is open for debate, conversation, observation. But it seems like the least, the very least we could do for Vanessa Bryant is to just not be assholes. Stay unbothered. Jamel Hill is Unbothered is produced by Spotify and Unbothered Inc. From Unbothered Inc., Ashley Van Horn is our head of talent. Rich Berner is our technical director and Evan Dick is our executive producer. From Spotify, supervising producer is Jifa Yador and project manager is Jessica Dow. Our theme music is provided by Corey Greenleaf and Ben Darwish. This or That Music, The Choice is Yours, Revisited by Black Sheep. Written by Andres Titus, William K. McLean, and Johnny Hammond from Universal Polygram International Publishing, Inc. on behalf of itself and Peep Bow Music. You can find more from me on Twitter and Instagram at Jamel Hill. Please remember to subscribe and share with your friends.